Hi, I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. Man, I, um, I have a little bit of a window today to do this, and uh, still a lot of time uh, kind of allocated, but it's, it's one of those things where, uh, I don't know, I, I keep thinking, well, it's, it's kind of weird, actually. This is a pretty significant time commitment, like putting these together. And we live in a time where there is almost an endless supply of content out there. I mean, if you, if you are interested in watching TV or videos on YouTube uh, or listening to podcasts, you, can, you, you could live several lifetimes, many lifetimes, and not go through all of it. And yet here I am putting this thing together and you know, it, it's kind of a weird, arrogant thing really, the, to think that something that I'm going to say, just me sitting here pontificating, is worth your time. I, I truly hope that it is, um, but I understand if it's not. You know, I try to make it something. You know, I, and and my, hope, my hope really is that there's going to be some you know, interesting content and hopefully things that you've either not thought about or you have maybe superficial knowledge of, but not a lot of depth. Um, I don't want to get like obviously too deep and too into the woods, but I have a pretty broad and diverse background and I have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. Some of these, I mean, the political things, obviously I'm, it's not that I mean to repeat myself, but it, there's a lot of stuff that's just, uh, it's hard to avoid really repeating yourself, but I think still it's probably worth putting out there. And then you think about, um, you know, like I, when I, when I was thinking about what to do for this, I thought about like trying to make a physics class, for example, or an electronics class or a microbiology class. I could, I have taught actually all of those. I could teach them again. Um, I don't think this is the right format for that. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, today's going to start out at least a little bit meta ish. Um, not specifically about this, but I, I watch a lot of YouTube programming and I see, I guess, a few buckets of the stuff that I end up being, gra you know, being attracted to, gravitating toward. I have a group of things like um, this old Tony, for example, which is interesting. You know, he shows builds of things. He goes through, everything is tightly edited, um, very lots of visual jokes, you know, sight gag kind of things. And it's, it's funny. It is great. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, that is definitely obviously not this. Uh, I see like Blondie Hacks, who I really like. I highly recommend her as well. She has a lot of stuff. Like if you're a home machinist and you're trying to learn how to use a lathe or use a overhead mill, she will help you get from a point where you don't know what you're doing to a point where you can at least make some parts. I think that's actually pretty fucking cool. And I think obviously, at least you know, I spend the time every week watching those. And I listen, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. The ones I really like, there, there are some that I catch as I can. Um, there are some that are almost habitual. So for example, Bill Maher. I don't, I don't, 
I don't want to shit on the guy too much, uh, but somehow years ago, many years ago, I got, I guess I was watching Politically Incorrect. I got in the habit of doing that. And then his show ended on CBS and then his show began on HBO. And I've just been in the habit of watching it. And I, I disagree with the guy on a lot of things. I mean, uh, I think actually he does a lot of harm. I mean, certainly he's got medical quackery that is just, you know, like makes you want to scream. He had a, he had a doc, I think he was an actual doctor. I was gonna give you air quotes doctor. I think he's actually a medical doctor, but still he had somebody on who was explaining that he had cured Charlie Sheen of HIV. And uh, no, I, I assure you, yeah, you know, we don't have that technology yet. I'm sorry. It'd be awesome if we did, uh, but no. And the fact that he's like amplifying somebody like this is crazy. Uh, you have, it's just, the thing that I find about him, and this is a fairly common problem, but he's very, he, he actually is very knowledgeable. Like he, you could ask him about any president. And I mean, you know, not like JFK, but some obscure president most of us have maybe not even heard of. And he has, at the very least, some you know, biographical data on him. Uh, he will know details and stories about every president. He follows the news, he, he does stay informed and in all of this. And yet, he is very wrong about a lot of things. Yeah, and, and he also, I mean, I, I guess this is, it, it's kind of a cautionary tale, really, because you, you see people who are pretty intelligent, not gonna, you know, to be fair, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you, you look at other animals, their intelligence kind of distribution. Humans, as far as I could tell, and I haven't, you know, done a great deal of research on this, so obvious grain of salt. But as far as I can tell, humans are marginally, at best, more intelligent than most other animals in most areas. Um, and certainly not unambiguously so. I mean, there are other primates that have much better, much better short-term memory or spatial skills than we do. Um, there are other animals that have, you know, pretty much on any metric that you want to pick, other than the things that are uniquely human, as far as we know, like written language, other animals are at least as smart. And, you know, you look at your dog and you're like, eh, my dog is not... I love my dog, but dog is not that bright. But then you actually look at the problem solving and uh, you can kind of see, it, 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 I, I haven't had a dog for a few years, but when I did have a dog, you know, I, I would watch her and I would see, like, it's one of those things where you can actually see almost the, the gears turning in their mind. And you see the problem solving, you see things getting worked out. Now, some of them definitely took some time to figure out for her, but, Actually, a lot of things, you know, she'd just see and then figure out and you'd be like, shit, that's actually impressive. And I, I do think that, you know, you look at that distribution, humans, to be generous, are a little bit separated, but not that much. And the distribution among humans, I don't think is that great. The smartest person and the dumbest person within, you know, I mean, obviously, there are maybe some outliers in both directions. but for the most part, unless there's something actually wrong with somebody. Our distribution is very tight, I think. Yeah, the Einsteins of the world 
are bright, but a lot of the things that make them special, I don't think are a particular like magic uh, ability so much as just different ways of looking at things and uh, different approaches to stuff. Certainly not to disparage, you know, the smartest among us, but I don't think, I don't think the smartest among us are that bright. So I, and I also don't think like the range, generally speaking, yeah, I mean, I do know obviously some very not so bright people, but I don't think they're like so much, you, you know, they're less bright, but not that much. And also like the brightest people, you know, still do dumb things. And the problem I think is it's very easy, especially if you're a little bit brighter than, than usual, uh, than a typical person, um, or more informed or whatever. It's very easy to convince yourself that you know much more than you do, or that you, you know, we, we have um, sort of, I think it's called the supremacy bias, which is this idea that um, everyone else, everyone else is basically an automaton. They don't have free will necessarily. Um, they're not, they don't have as clear of a holistic view of the picture as I do. And the thing that's scary about this is it's very easy to see yourself in these statements, you know, you, you're like, oh yeah, that actually seems true. Red flag, you know, sirens, warning bells, flashing lights, all that. If you think that you're smarter than everyone else and you think that you know more than everybody else about things, and this is something I struggle with a lot myself, but that should be a, uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're not, uh, but it definitely is a thing that you should worry about. And it's very easy, like I'm saying, to convince ourselves that we know things that we don't know. Now, for example, I have a lot of thoughts about Joe Biden. I'm not to get back to politics, but I can't help it. I have a lot of thoughts about Joe Biden. I think that he is a terrible candidate. I think he is basically a gift to Trump. Um, I think that he will almost certainly lose. I could be wrong. And I, I always try to say when I bring this up, I hope I am wrong. It's not that, it's not just that I think that I can be wrong. No one, like honestly, no one would be happier than me if I'm wrong about that. No one would be happier than me if he ends up winning and we get the House and the Senate and somehow magically pass Medicare for All and he actually signs it into law. Not that I think any of that's going to happen. Um, but it would be, it would be thrilling to me to be proven wrong there. Um, I don't expect to be proven wrong there, but nonetheless. So you look at Bill Maher again, and yeah, you just see this, and the problem, and I think this is a very common thing, in our society, we have such easy access to so much information that you get the idea that you know more about certain things than you do. So a generic person who doesn't have any particular expertise can go to Google or YouTube and read about stuff. And there was a time, you know, jargon never necessarily meant that you knew the subject or you were an expert, but it was kind of a, um, it was like a shibboleth kind of thing where if you knew the jargon, that was at least a proxy for you probably had some kind of deeper knowledge about the subject. The problem is now you can get the jargon I mean, this is clearly demonstrated during this pandemic. You can get that jargon like 
super quick, no problem at all. What you can't do easily is actually have that deep understanding of like what the things mean and the true expertise. Um, you can convince yourself that you're an expert and you can get enough knowledge that other people, especially non-experts, will think that you're an expert. And so even for somebody who has no expertise at all, that's a big risk. But then you see people like Bill Maher, who uh, I think, to be fair, he is an expert in certain aspects of politics. I, I, I feel like that is a pretty uncontroversial claim. Um, certainly, like if you gave him, and again, give him a test on past presidents, he will wipe the floor with me. No question at all. So it's easy when you're in that position. Like, think about how easy it is for a normal person. When you actually have some bona fides, when you actually can say, you know, I'm, I have a piece of paper that says that I know about this, um, it's very easy to convince yourself that you know about other things, especially when they're in the periphery, you know. It, hopefully you understand, or most of us understand, that if we're talking way outside of our domain, um, probably don't know that much about it. Hopefully you know that. Um, although, you know, I, I, I was going to bring up some names, but I don't want to because there are so many examples of this that are just embarrassingly bad, where you have somebody who's an expert, unambiguously, usually somebody with a PhD, um, sometimes somebody who has a, uh, a Nobel Prize or something of that, of that level. And you'll see them talking about stuff so far out of their domain. And they do it with a certainty and a certain kind of gravitas. It's a problem also, actually. It's a danger for me in that I have a sort of, um, for want of a better word, I guess professorial demeanor. I, I come off as knowledgeable. And partly that is because I am knowledgeable. Not that I don't want to disparage myself here. Um, partly it's because I actually do think deeply, at least, you know, as deeply as humans think about anything, which is not, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's not that deep. Um, the, the advantage that we have there, just to flesh that out, I think comes down mostly to communication. You know, we can have, you, you can have a dog that is more intelligent than Einstein, but if that dog can't, you know, they're starting from zero every time or very low level, like they can pass on very limited amounts of knowledge and experience. So you imagine like every one of us, well, we have so many generations of mistakes and of people going, oh, you know, that's, a, that's how you do that. Looking at the same problems. And it's shocking actually, you know, this is one of the reasons I don't think human intelligence is that great we will sit there and do the same shit for many generations before somebody figures out, oh, maybe we should try this, which in retrospect is obvious. Um, I always go back to the calculus example. Just, uh, yeah, the, there were certain things, I mean, I think when you look at it in context, there were certain things that really teed Newton and Leibniz up to come up with calculus. But at the same time, you know, so it's not totally fair to say like in Zeno's time, they basically had the, the building blocks. There was a lot that went on between those times, but still 
if you look at Zeno's paradoxes, uh, which are basically things like to get from here to here, first you have to go half the distance, and then you have to go half the distance, and then you have to go half the distance, and so on and so on, which means you can never get here because you always have half more to go. Um, and of course, the answer to that, so that, that was a paradox for thousands of years, paradox in air quotes. The answer to that is this is one unit of time it takes to get from here to here at a constant speed. And this is half a unit of time. So half a unit of space, half a unit of time. Half a unit of a half of space, half or a quarter, quarter unit of time. An eighth, a sixteenth, a thirty-second, and so on. And as you do this, it's just a limit. And it's kind of a funny thing because that idea, that kernel, could have been understood by the people of Zeno's time. Zeno himself could have gotten it. But there was a tiny logical leap that had to be made. And it took so many generations of people looking at this thing and repeating these paradoxes, paradoxes before we actually got it. Uh, doesn't really make me think, and, and I'm not, I don't think that Newton or Leibniz were like, I, I mean, I'm not saying they were dumb, but I don't think they were like super geniuses beyond any person alive in that intervening time. I mean, there were certainly mathematicians who lived between Zeno and them who were at least as smart. I think it's almost, un, to me, it seems like a pretty uncontroversial statement. And yet, it took that long. So, and, and, and it's not just that long because it's easy to think, oh, well, it's, you know, thousands of years. In that thousands of years, what is the human population? So it's thousands of years times the number of human lifetimes that are going on concurrently. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, universe is like a little bit over 13 billion years old. And on the planet right now, we have, I think, ballpark 7-ish billion people, which means that 13 billion years sounds like a long time. 7 billion people, every year, we experience 7 billion years of experience. And so every, within two years, we have experienced as humans, like as a, as a species, we have experienced more than the entire duration, the entire lifetime of the universe. Um, there's been more thought than a single person could have thought in the entire duration of the universe. Um, that, now granted, a lot of that thought is going to rhyme, you know, how many people have the same thoughts? You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's the, the typical thing with a comedian. You have, you know, 10 comedians all see the same thing. They come up with the same joke. Uh, we have a lot of parallel thoughts because we're in the same, we're all stewing in the same sort of environment. Um, the inputs to our brains, which are all very similar already, are very similar. Um, so it's not surprising that we would think in, in common lines. But still, that notwithstanding, you know, that's the lifetime of the universe happening every couple of years. And you think about that over thousands of years. I mean, granted, the human population has gone up significantly, but still thousands of years, millions of people, you know, billions of years of experience. That is what really sets us apart, I think, from other animals. It's not that we're particularly intelligent. It's that all that accumulated experience for other species just dies off. It either dies off 
or they have some kind of, um, you know, they, they call it learned animal tradition rather than civilization. Um, but they have some kind of culture and civilization that's passed on. So it's a weird thing. I, I got an undergrad uh, minor in anthropology and I could have had a major in it, but I would have had three degrees if I stayed like one more semester. I was not about to do that. Um, don't think having two undergrad degrees helps, but uh, yeah. you know. it was it was interesting to me though, and it's it's a thing. Yeah, honestly, like that. If I could go back and just like take, I don't want to say I would take all the undergrad classes, but if you imagine, I mean, if I lived like thousands of years, it, it would be a no-brainer. I would I would probably. I'm not saying I'd get every degree, but it, why not? You know, thousands of years. Uh, you could easily go through pretty much every, certainly, you know, a smattering of classes in every subject easily. And probably undergrad degrees and even grad level degrees on almost everything that we know, at least today. Obviously, what we know is expanding exponentially, so you could catch up to today, but so much more would have happened between now and then that you'd be way behind, you'd be further behind in a thousand years than you are today, assuming nothing cataclysmic happens. But anyway, we have that cumulative experience. Um, so even, even when you think that, all that cumulative experience, and it took us thousands of years to go from Zeno to calculus. And this is the thing that just makes me think, maybe we're not that bright. You know, and also, actually, there's an interesting thing. If you look at, uh, I guess, the uh, now, granted size of the brain doesn't necessarily mean much, but humans tens of thousands of years ago had slightly larger brains. Were they more intelligent? Hard to say. But certainly a lot of the survival pressures that forced us to become intelligent have been eased off. And, uh, I mean, I'm not quite pointing to idiocracy here, but... It's a, it's a thing. Maybe we're not as intelligent as people were. Or certainly, I don't think we're particularly more intelligent. I don't think, you know, whether we're less or more, probably within the ballpark of people tens of thousands of years ago. But those people didn't have all that cumulative knowledge and experience and thought to work from. So they are kind of where other animals are, at least in my opinion. Which is one of the reasons, like, I, I do eat meat, um, work on not doing it to varying degrees of success, but uh, I still do. And I think it is um, one of the most, certainly of the things that I do, the most indefensible, unethical thing. Uh, it is just, you know, I mean, it, you can understand, you've evolved and many, many generations never even thought about it. So it's easy to understand and accept that, you know, I, I don't judge a tiger for eating meat because that tiger doesn't really have the metacognition. It doesn't have the ethics and the morality to realize that it's something that it shouldn't be doing. But we do, you know, we can't claim ignorance here. And when you look, just that by itself is pretty bad. But then when you look at factory farming, and it is just unbelievably awful. Like the conditions in which these animals that we eat um, live, is, live is almost, you know, like 
pretty fucking awful. Yeah, and, and it's just, I, I do not think it is in any way defensible for us to do that. Um, and my, I include myself and I judge myself harshly for that. And I judge you harshly for it. So if you're, yeah, I, there was a time in my life where I always thought um, like being, being a vegetarian, I always thought was, you know, like reasonable. Being a vegan seemed a little, little affected, a um, little excessive. Now, I, I've got to say, I, I think it is the right thing to do. And I think, you know, in terms of like where you are morally, um, I think they're ahead of me. Yeah. And it, it is a thing that um, it's one of those things that you kind of have to square with yourself. Like, uh, how do you defend doing this and why do you continue to do it? And I don't have a good answer. I truly don't. Um, it's, I guess the answer is basically that uh, at some level, you know, as much as I see that this is a horrible thing, I don't have, it's not that I don't care exactly, but I don't have whatever that is that uh, makes me go quite all the way there. And it's something that I struggle with and it's something that uh, I'm frankly ashamed of. You know, I'm, I'm saying it now very matter of factly, but you know, it, it is a fair thing to judge me harshly on that, um, you know. And it's so, I don't know, it's such a sad thing that we, uh, that we do this. And it, it's something, like, there are certain things. I, I, I don't think knowing the future is that easy, obviously. Lots of things can happen. But I do think there are certain things where you can say, assuming things continue to progress, um, I do feel like hundreds of years ago, you could know slavery was wrong and maybe that someday people would look back on slavery like, um, you know, like, holy shit, what the fuck was wrong with these people? Um, I think, you know, obviously genocide, even in the moment, even the people committing genocide probably know it's wrong, I would hope. And yet it happens. And you know people down the road are going to look back very negatively on that. Um, I, I can't imagine someone, especially, you know, like right now, it is somewhat of a struggle not to eat meat. I, uh, I, I try to do it as much as possible. And, you know, for, for the most part, it's actually, it's better than it maybe used to be. But there are certain things you have to give up. You know, it, at some point in the future, when you imagine we have the technology, I mean, assuming that we don't get wiped out in the process. Imagine that we have the technology to have essentially the same thing, but no animals suffering. Um, if you have that technology, there's no way to defend what we do now. And I don't think there's any way to look back on people of my time and not judge extremely harshly. You know, it, I mean, you can certainly understand like, okay, those people, you know, if they wanted to have this, they had to have it this way. Um, we are not having to compromise as much. And so I understand why they did it, kind of, but it's still disgusting and wrong. And, uh, you know, it's barbaric. Or barbaric. It's, it's pretty bad, actually. So uh, it's a, I don't know why I would, uh, would even talk about that for so long, but that is a thing, actually. Bill Maher is not a vegetarian. But he does talk about that, so I, I give him props for that.
but he also talks about dumb. It's, it's a weird thing, actually. He has this political correctness idea, and which is a, a true thing. There's definitely a real problem there, and it's a thing that, um, you know, it, it's an unfortunate thing. We have, like, the, I, I've talked about this before, but the, the left in the 60s was all for free speech and freedom of thought and expression, all of this. Uh, the whole, this was a whole movement. Um, you look at places like Berkeley that were at the forefront of it. And now, though, we have this really weird authoritarian left that uh, is not for that. I feel like this has actually kind of eroded away over the years, but there was enough of it there that, you know, it, it, this is the problem with a lot of things. There's enough of a kernel of truth that it kind of undermines a lot of our arguments and it, uh, it, it's, it's one of these things. I really would like to have the moral high ground in general. And, you know, it's like, uh, one of the reasons, I'm not saying that's why you do the right thing, but one of the reasons that you might be motivated to do the right thing when you don't really see that much difference between that and the wrong thing is that doing the right thing consistently and frankly, um, conspicuously, yeah, I mean, this is a stupid example, but if somebody is typing in their username and password, I intentionally look like I make a, I'm not like pointing it out, but I make a very clear, like I'm looking in the other direction. I'm not looking at your, your thing because I don't want there to be any question about it. And I think being in that position is generally advantageous. It's generally it's good if you want to criticize someone, if you want to criticize, since I'm, I'm like skirting the subject anyway, let's get, let's just jump in the pool. If you want to criticize Donald Trump, um, and he has many things, many things to criticize. If you want to criticize him, it is nice to have the objective, clear high ground. If you criticize him about women, for example, like, you know, you go through and you're like, oh, well, he is credibly accused of uh, sexually assaulting and possibly worse, you know, 20 plus women. And you're like, well, obviously that's terrible. And then you go against him with Joe Biden, who, okay, even, even if you factor out Tara Reid, you don't believe her. Um, there are plenty of videos of Joe Biden coming up behind women and like doing weird massages and smelling the hair and doing just like creepy shit. Um, and, and again, like I understand some people are very touchy feely, but you can see some of the women in these videos recoil and it's not very hard to go back through the archives and put together clip after clip after clip of this. And instantly, if I show you that, um, how are you going to complain about Trump? I mean, you can complain about him, but then it's like, okay, well, this is your guy. You're going up against him with this. So neutralizes that argument. Um, and, it, and it's totally unnecessary. Let's imagine that uh, the assault of Tara did not happen. And frankly, I think, I think it's at least as credible as, uh, as say, Ford. So, yeah, I mean, if, if not, they're like marginally different. It's not like uh, a huge, you know, it's not, it's not that big. It's like a slight, slight 
difference in, in terms of credibility. But the difference is who's being accused. And it's such a fucked up situation because you have people like Alyssa Milano who are sitting there and she was in the Kavanaugh hearings. You know, and, and actually, to be fair, in the Kavanaugh hearings and all of this stuff, the idea was that the standard of proof was basically if you're accused, I mean, this is a weird thing. They were saying if you were accused, then you're basically guilty. Believe women meant, you know, just if a woman accuses you, guilty. Obviously, this is problematic. Now, to be fair, you know, it's not as problematic as you would think because false accusations are much rarer than you might guess. But the true place to be is not to just assume that the accusation is false or to assume that it's true. It's to say, there's a credible accusation here. And I think it's very credible, um, especially when you look at like contemporaneous evidence. And then you go, okay, let's see. So you have this and you have the videos. Yeah. It, now we don't know for sure that he did it, but we're not trying to convict him. You know, obviously like this is a, a theory of justice or philosophy of justice kind of question, but if you're going to convict somebody, put them in prison, which whether prison is a good thing or not, it's another, another topic for another day. Um, I'm not a big, um, not a big punitive justice kind of guy. I am generally, I, I mean, I don't think it does any good for the most part. And I think that's pretty well established empirically. Uh, recidivism is high. It doesn't really seem to, it's like a, you know, you treat people, you don't treat people with this. What is the outcome? Um, we do a lot of stuff. I mean, like I'm, I'm not quite saying abolish prisons, but probably, you know, and you look at how many people are in prison, certainly abolish private prisons. Um, and you look at how many people are in prison for things that are victimless crimes. Um, drug use is a huge example. Um, people are arrested and convicted. And the, the crazy thing about this is that if you look across populations, um, the use I did just go with cannabis here, but um, I've, I've never tried it myself. Probably never will. Um, I, I hate smoke just in general. I like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like playing with fires, uh, fireplace and putting logs in and all that stuff. But actual smoke, not my thing. I think it's disgusting. Um, maybe someday I would try an edible, but uh, don't count on it. I've never tried it. But the fact that something is tried by such a huge percentage of the population. It's something that people use regularly, um, like alcohol. It's something that is actually, I would say, objectively much less dangerous than alcohol. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty difficult sell for me, you know, like just from independent external observer perspective. You're going to convince me somehow that cannabis is really bad alcohol is actually fine. I mean, if you want to prohibit this, then you sure as fuck should prohibit this. And we have a, a reversed amendment explaining why prohibiting this is bad. So probably seems like a no brainer. And I would say also, this is one of those examples like slavery a hundred years from now, assuming society continues to progress. Um, and this Trump shit is a hiccup, not guaranteed, but assume it. Um, this will be totally legal and totally normal. And hopefully also we'll get past this like 
annoying rebound effect where it's just like gum. Yeah, it, it, it irritates the shit out of me actually that uh, like I, I hate smoke and so I want this to be legal because it's stupid to take people's freedom. Uh, it's stupid to take people's right to vote, for example. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a total opponent to felony disenfranchisement just in general on, on the basis of it being fundamentally wrong. And then also it gives you, I mean, the, the question is like, what is the cost and benefit of doing it? You take away somebody's right to vote. You'll find so many people who are convinced that is a reasonable thing when it is fucking insane that you even think about it. Especially like, you know, it's like, oh, well, if you let felons vote, then they'll vote for felony or something. No, you actually look at it. I mean, how many people are actually um, rapists or murderers? And if, so that's a tiny fraction of the population, them voting or not, probably not going to make that much difference compared to if I take away somebody's right to vote for something like, say, cannabis, um, as soon as you do that, you've given an incentive to anyone who wants to take away that person's right to vote to convict more people. And so like what I was getting to is uh, the usage across demographics, pretty uniform. Uh, it's shockingly, I mean, within a percent or so. But when you look at the amount of people who are arrested and convicted, it's like more than two to one. If you're black, very likely that you'll be arrested and convicted. And if you're white, not so much. If you are poor, much more likely than if you're rich. Um, this is the problem with laws like this. It's, it's, a, it's a common problem actually that you have a law where, it's not that everybody is breaking it, but the idea is everybody's probably, no matter what, breaking some law because there are a lot of crazy laws in the books uh, you probably just driving, even if you're a very cautious driver at some point, you're probably breaking the law unless you're just not doing it at all. Um, I, I, I would say that's almost a certainty. And that means that if police, if law enforcement wants to pull you in for something, you're probably giving them an excuse. You just don't know it. Um, and, and so you think about that. Well, it's it just, it should be obvious, frankly. I mean, obviously a lot of obvious things are not obvious, but you would hope that it would be obvious that as soon as you've given somebody the ability to take somebody's right to vote away, there's automatically an incentive to disproportionately enforce, um, to not give you equal protection under the law in the groups that you want to suppress. If you want to take away somebody's right to vote, everybody's doing something, well, focus on the people that you want to take the right, of, right to vote away from. Easy. Um, a crazy, crazy thing is like, um, we, we have an amendment that forbids slavery. But then you actually look at it and there's a sentence in there, which is one of the things where you're like, holy shit. It's actually more than a sentence. I guess it's like a, a couple of things put together. But basically says that except in the case of being convicted as a felon, so slavery is not prohibited. It is allowed as a punishment for crime, according to our constitution today, um, which is one of those things where you're like, holy shit, somebody from the future looking at that would think you're fucking insane and wrong. Um, and hopefully it's obvious now. Yeah, hopefully if you were in the time of slavery, you would have recognized that slavery was wrong. 
but we're still in the time of slavery. We're just, you know, the scope of it is a little bit more limited. Um, but we have private prisons and slavery can be a punishment. You can have people like private companies basically encouraging legislators and encouraging law enforcement and encouraging prosecutors to make a funnel of slaves. I mean, it's pretty fucked up. You know, it's pretty indefensible. So anyway, um, going on and on about this is, you know, it, it, it's just something that, uh, I guess the problem is there are so many things like this that you could just talk about. And you think about like, uh, like that one. And I guess if there's anything that I would like to accomplish with these, it is to convince you, although probably the person that's watching this is not the person that needs to be convinced, but say, hopefully you are. Um, you're on the fence about going to school. And I gotta tell you, like we have this horrible thing in our culture where education is considered job training. It is not. Um, and part of, part of this is we have this, um, I, I was listening to a DSA conference call yesterday and I, I'm pretty aligned with them almost everywhere except they're like 100% for abolishing capitalism. And I don't think, I like the idea on paper, but I don't think it's even possible. I mean, to me, capitalism is something, it's, it's basically an emergent phenomenon and it's basically like conservation of energy. If you have capital and you have stuff to buy, um, just the dynamics of that, unless this is essentially infinite and this is essentially free, um, free in the sense that you know, it costs zero effort to get whatever you want. Um, as long as there's a limit of this, the supply is finite and the demand is greater than the supply can, can bear, there's gonna be some kind of you know, capital exchange. Now, I, I think that's almost a, um, I wouldn't say it's a law of physics exactly, but I think it's just how things work. It's almost like a mathematical relationship. Um, it's if you have a fluid and you have sources and sinks, yeah, it's just the dynamics of that are going to follow certain rules. And I think that's, so I, I think that they're misguided in that respect. But I also think that where we are now with, um, and they had this term that I loved, the neoliberal consensus. Um, obviously not their term, but it's, you know, it's fucking spot on because it gets to the heart of what is wrong, I think, with, I mean, there are many things wrong with our world today, but one of the biggest things is that both the Democrats and the Republicans agree on this concept of, you know, like, markets are magic. Um, we should have everything operate like a company, like magically companies do things the best. Um, we have this idea that public services should be owned by private entities, which guarantees, by the way, that the public service will not be that good and it will be more expensive because if you have it as a public good, we have an incentive as a culture to make the thing the best, you know, as good as possible and as cheap as possible. Whereas if you're a private company, your incentive is legally that you have to make the most revenue possible and outlay as little capital as possible, maximizing profit. Um, again, I, I've said this before, but if you are a for-profit company, you have a legal fiduciary responsibility to your investors to do that. Um, it's just, 
it's crazy to think that somehow magically a company subject to that constraint is going to be righteous and do the right things. And and yet, I yeah, I mean, I'm like, uh, so I'm like 99% of the way there. I have, I have companies and uh, I don't think that, I, I think that the people who are doing work for the company should own part of the company for sure. But I do think if I went out and started the company and I spent years just grinding and suffering, maybe it's fair for me to get a little bit more for that. Now, I don't think you should necessarily get like Bezos bucks, but I think, you know, it's not reasonable to have a completely equitable distribution there. Or, I mean, what is equitable? Equitable is probably if you, you know, you have a, a floor that's okay. And then if you have like more effort that you've put in and you've built something that didn't exist before, I think it's reasonable to have some kind of reward for that. And I think, you know, it's also reasonable to expect that your reward should not be so disproportionate to the people who are helping you. Um, it seems like seems like a no-brainer, honestly. And I do think, you know, like part of the ideas that they have um, make sense in a truly post-scarcity civilization, which I don't think is a real, I mean, to be fair, I don't know that it's a real thing. Um, post-scarcity, when you think about it, if imagine we have machines that are so smart and so capable that they can do any labor for us, including intellectual labor for free, uh, on demand. And it basically just comes down to energy. You still have energy as a finite resource. I mean, no matter what, there are resources that are finite. And if you have any human population at all, and you have two people that want the same, want to live in the same place, you have a conflict. If you have people who are thinking like we want to make a megastructure, we want to make an orbital ring, or we want to make, um, you know, orbital, I don't know, sky fountain or something. If you, you want to do these things, even if you have basically limitless resources, you have to do some kind of calculation when you get to that kind of scale. Um, so I think post-scarcity is a, maybe a, a broken concept, but you can get close to it. You can definitely get to the point where, and I think we're actually, we are here, I, I don't even think. We are to the point where basic needs, like everything on Maslow's hierarchy, uh, up to that top little tier, everybody could fucking have. We have so much more than we need. Um, we have so much more food. It, it's, it's disgusting how much food we make that goes to waste every year. People still starve to death. What the fuck? You know, we have we throw we throw food out and we let it rot, and yet people are dying because literally dying. That's not a bullshit thing. Little babies dying, going blind because they can't get vitamin A. And, you know, crazy fucking shit. Um, but we have more than enough. You know, for our basic necessities, we should be post scarcity already. For you know, big things. Like, you can't get a Bugatti. We can't all just, like, get barrels of gas and light them on fire. There are finite resources and finite capacities of the environment to absorb things. But in terms of just having a house or some place to live, having, you know, the, all that stuff, like, not being 
in danger, not having to worry about food or shelter, not having to worry about all of the, you know, like emotional connections or having a emotional support network, knowing that if you get sick, you actually can get medical care and not be financially destroyed. All of those things are things that are so far within our capacity and have been for decades. Um, it, it is disgusting and indefensible not to be there. Now, is that post-scarcity? I don't know, but it's pretty fucking close. And I, I can't help but think, like, uh, today new numbers for unemployment came out. Over 30 million people. And we have, so we, we just spent, and I'm just going to look at the first major stimulus package, but like 2.2 trillion. 2.2 trillion dollars. And this is the first one, there are, there's more to come. We spent, and a lot of that went to fucking rich people, stupidly wealthy people. People are either like stupidly wealthy, small minority, and they're fine. Like they're living in a mansion, they have grounds, they have, you know, they're, they're fucking fine, right? And they even have supplies, probably. You know, just because, why not? If, if you're in a position where you have a lot of extra money and you buy Purell, why not get a closet full of Purell just to, just to have, independent of the current situation? That means that person probably has, you know, months or years of supply of something versus somebody who is just scraping by and, you know, like they might not even get Purell. It might be an insane luxury to them. Um, just being able to take a shower is a luxury to some people. Should not be, needn't be, but it is. Um, having running water, purified water, I mean, it's, it's like, it's so fucked up that uh, extreme poverty is still a thing that exists in our world, given where we are. Indefensible. Absolutely indefensible. And even more so, I would say, than eating meat. Um, by, by an order of magnitude, at least. Um, although, eating meat's still bad. But it's just, it's crazy to me that we are here. And I, I, I don't know. The fact that there is this neoliberal consensus that we have created this world where, you know, I mean, it, just, just thinking about it, like even from the perspective of, you know, you want to run a company, you want to make some money. Um, I, I don't think that's unfair. I don't think that's unreasonable. I build something that somebody else wasn't even thinking about. I have an idea. I make something. I go through the work and then I sell it for a fair price. I think that's fine. The problem comes where you have like a pharmaceutical company who uses, you know, millions and millions of dollars of publicly funded research to get the re to get a drug kind of into the pipeline. And then they do a tiny bit more and a shit ton of more marketing past that. And now they own the patent, they own the ability to produce it. And they don't just sell it for a little bit. They don't just sell it for a comfortable profit for a, you know, like a reasonable margin, but at a price that people can afford, they sell it for all the fucking money. Yeah. I mean, you look at I, insulin is particularly bad here because the original patent was sold for $1 just to, yeah, you just, just because it was something that was supposed to help people. And now we have these pharmaceutical companies who didn't even develop the shit. You know, for the most part, they've just exchanged intellectual property. And I'm a big believer, like, in intellectual property is a thing. If I come up with an idea, 
credit is important, but that doesn't mean that I should be able to extort people for something that I didn't even invent. Um, you know, like, oh, you're, so you're diabetic. Yeah, you need some insulin or else you're gonna lose your toes or uh, your, your vision's gonna go or something like that. Oh, that's okay. It's a shame, it'd be a shame if you didn't get it. Maybe you should give me a fuck to, you know, give me some, give me some money, give me some, yeah, pay the piper. It's, it's so fucked up. Yeah, and, and I mean, you look at, um, I'm gonna fuck up his name, but that Shreky guy, Shreky, Shirelli, whatever the fuck his name is, does not deserve to have his name known, so fuck the guy. But this guy, uh, basically his whole thing was, he has a pharmaceutical company, and they buy a drug from some other company or you know somebody who goes bankrupt or whatever, get the patent, and then start selling it for a much larger profit margin. Didn't develop the drug. People need that drug. They were already making money, and yet you know we're going to financialize it and just maximize profits. Um, this motherfucker was particularly egregious, and he was. I think his real mistake was that he did it in the open. Because if you look at the boards, all of the executives of any, like GlaxoSmithKline or Bayer or any, any of the major pharmaceutical companies, they're doing the same shit. They're doing exactly the same thing. They're just not being quite as brazen or quite as assholeish about it. So yeah, it's kind of a um, generally fucked up situation and something that we should fix. Yeah. This is not something that's gonna be easy to fix, uh, but it's something that we should. And I would say also, like if you are the person who is benefiting from the current situation, you should really consider that maybe it's better, if you're Jeff Bezos, maybe it's better if you pay a little bit more taxes and Amazon pays a little bit of taxes than either you get your head lopped off, I'm not suggesting that happens, but I mean, that's like the extreme version, or, like people take over who probably are gonna be less than sympathetic and they're going to impose like a massive wealth tax or something that is going to be so onerous that you like, you could just give up a little bit and still be okay. Or because you've made things so ridiculous, people are going to push back like that pendulum. You just keep pushing the pendulum further and further. Um, it's gonna swing back and it's gonna swing back hard and far. And all, like the Koch brothers, all of these kinds of people, they think they're winning now and they are in the short run, but the consequence to them, to people like them of doing this and of getting things this extreme and this awful, it is gonna be bad. You know, it's not gonna be good. It's not gonna be something, I mean, just out of sheer self-interest, for maintaining the status quo and you know having these things which have been good to you um, continue, you should want to pay your fucking dues. Um, it, it, it's just the idea also like I mean this will be the last thing that I say, but the idea that if you're someone like Bezos who has over a hundred billion dollars, um, he could literally end. This is this is accurate. He could end single-handedly end extreme poverty and still be a multi-billionaire by, you know, and I, I don't mean like he has $2 billion. I mean, he's still like a serious contender for the guy who has the most money in the world. It's crazy that one person has that much. It is just hard to fathom. And then you look at like Bill Gates, 
I mean, Bill Gates did a great thing. U.S. Uh, under Trump, Trump, giant fucking asshole, decides not to pay the WHO. Bill Gates, single individual, is like, ah, I'll get them. Yeah. It's like, like he's buying somebody a lunch. He can pay the U.S.'s, you know, the, the money that the U.S. is going to put into the World Health Organization. It's fucking crazy. And to him, it is like buying somebody lunch. It's not like spending a material amount of money. It's like, eh, just, it'll wash out in the, in the end. And you think about it, and like, these people who have benefited so greatly from our society, our civilization, um, from education, from all of the things that taxes pay for, that um, this neoliberal consensus is fighting against, and they are actively eroding it. They're actively doing things that are undermining the very fabric that made it possible to get where they are. Um, not a good long-term strategy you know, at all. With that, thank you very much. Say Jen.